Hello, my name's Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Hello, welcome to episode five. This is part two of my interview with Brian Burke about spiritual warfare. If you did not listen to part one, if you have not listened to part one yet, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to part one as that will help give context to the things that we talk about here in part two. And uh, if you have been listening, I want to let you know, if you're a listener, that I have been previously sort of breaking the episodes, these interviews with my guests, up into two parts to keep the episodes around 30 to 40 minutes. I'm going to try for a couple of months to not break them up in two parts and release them uh two weeks apart, but I'm going to upload and release the full episode, the full interview with my next guest for a couple of months and see how that works and just allow you as the listener to sort of break up the episodes and the interviews as as you want, as you listen to them and see how that works. Also, if these conversations that I've had have been helpful, have been encouraging, or have even challenged you in some positive ways, uh, I want to encourage you to share uh, this episode, even rate it on uh, Apple Podcasts as those things help expand the influence of the podcast. If it's not been helpful and uh, not been insightful and you, you don't want to share it, that's fine. But if it has been, I just want to encourage you to share it. Now, I hope uh, you enjoy part two of my interview with Brian Burke. Thank you for listening. One of the things uh, I've been curious about personally is, and this is a one of interpretation, possibly opinion, but um, I've wondered, you know, you talked about these two kingdoms at the beginning, uh, sort of in conflict with one another. Uh, why, why, why is the kingdom of darkness allowed to exist or persist? Like, why is Satan and demons permitted to exist? I mean, uh, humans, we we seem to be able to sort of be able to muddle things up on our own without any help. Why not sort of annihilate or imprison or whatever uh, demons and Satan? Uh, why is he? Why does he have? I, I think he has a short leash, but he still has a leash. Why have a leash at all? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need to understand this theologically uh, from from a biblical perspective. Uh, according to Scripture, the way I see this, that we as Christ followers as human beings, live in between the times, okay? We live in the midst of this present evil age and the age to come, when Christ will one day return and fully establish his kingdom on earth. So in other words, we live in between the inauguration of God's kingdom and the full consummation of his kingdom. And so it's in between in which we live. It's a time of conflict a time of tension, a time of warfare, hence the term spiritual warfare. So yes, 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world currently is under the control of the evil one. John 12.31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. In Ephesians 2, it calls him the prince of the power of the air or the spirit who is now at work in those who are, who are disobedient. And so Satan has all of these titles and names that describe his rule or his reign on the earth in this in-between time, the time between uh, 
kingdoms uh, between when the kingdom of God is 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 inaugurated and fully established. We know how this story ends, and that's the hope that we have as Christ followers, that one day Satan's reign of terror on the earth will come to an end. Evil will be abolished. Satan will be completely destroyed. He'll be thrown into a lake of burning sulfur for the rest of eternity and eternally judged. But we know that although Christ's victory was secured on the cross, it won't be fully enforced and established until Satan is one day cast in the lake of fire. And so in that in-between phase in which we live, we still experience the reality of Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. I wish it weren't that way, but that's our reality in which we live. But the good news is we don't have to be afraid of the spiritual battles. We just need to be aware of them. And that's a big part of our training and equipping in this ministry. Yes, we need to be aware, but we don't need to be afraid because the spirit who is in us, 1 John 4, 4 says, is greater than the spirit who is in the world. So we've been given the power and authority to overcome evil, even in this in-between time. Um. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to, I'm going to press, and this may be one of those where it's like, you know, I, I had a pastor who sometimes said, sometimes, um, the answer is we don't know. Um, but sort of, this is maybe more philosophically thought through because I don't know if scripture is real clear, but it almost seems, I understand we're in the in-between, but it still almost seems that for whatever reason, God has determined that he will not sort of annihilate his creatures, um, these, these, uh, demonic spirits, these spirits in rebellion for, for whatever reason, it seems he's chosen not to, um, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on that? Um, you know, they're allowed being allowed to exist. Yeah, I think certainly there are a level and a group of demons who are already imprisoned. We know that from first Peter and Jude, that they are held in chains of darkness until the final judgment comes. But there are so many who are allowed to roam the earth uh, and to accomplish Satan's uh, work of evil, his work of destruction on the earth. Uh, but what gives me hope is that he is on a very short leash. Uh, Satan is not omnipotent or all-powerful like God. He is not omnipresent like God. Uh, he is bound by time and space. His power is limited. He is not eternal. His rule is temporary and will one day come to an end. So even while God does allow these spirit beings to still roam the earth, so to speak, as we see in Job 1 and 2, uh, their time is short. Their end is near. Their fate has been decided. And we can live in hope in the midst of this conflict. And so that often gives me perspective. Could God do away with evil today? Absolutely, because he is God and could do anything. And yet he's choosing to allow human history to play out according to his design, to his will, until one day his will is fully accomplished and established on the earth when evil will be no more. And as Revelation 21 says, when the uh, there will be no more crying or mourning or sickness or death or pain for the old order of things will be done away with and God will make everything new. And I think we all long for that full realization of God's kingdom on earth. Absolutely. I have one more question that's kind of in the realm of uh, sort of um, more maybe philosophizing or just sort of uh, questions, but um, I've a little bit familiar with the Wellsprings ministry. And I know sometimes the spirits, 
that are oppressing or demonizing an individual sort of are named by their function, um, like a spirit of depression, a spirit of hate, a spirit of rage, uh, a spirit of anxiety, spirit of lust for some examples. And I've wondered, um, you know, there seems to be a, a lot of them. Uh, are, is there like a population, uh, you know, of, of demons that operate these functions? Uh, do they, um, can they reproduce? Um, can we, th this is, again, this is in the range of like, I've just pondered these things. So we're, we're, we're dancing into just kind of philosophizing about it, but I've wondered, do our, negative thoughts sometimes almost, um, manifest like a like can our negative thought patterns and our continuing to give into lies almost manifest a spirit of depression, um, or, or something, or yeah, like, uh, uh, what's your thoughts on, on that? There seems to be a lot of demons, uh, almost, you know, almost more than the population of humans because, you know, I've experienced people are, kind of oppressed by more than one. And if that's the case with, you know, tons of humans, uh, it would seem there's a lot of them. What's, uh, is there a limited number that have been created or um, what, are, what are your thoughts? And like I said, this is kind of pondering. I don't know that scripture gives us a whole lot to go on, uh, with, with this sort of question, but yeah. Yeah, that's so true. In fact, sometimes I wish we had clearer answers from God's word, but, uh, some of this is conjecture and speculation, but we do have pieces of the puzzle that if we take the whole of scripture together, we can begin to piece together and see the whole. So for example, in Revelation 12, it talks about a third of the angels being swept out of the sky of being cast down to the earth. So we have a fraction, okay, a third of the angels are in rebellion. So how many angels are there and what's a third of them, right? We just don't know exact numbers. And yet in Revelation nine, um, there's this demonic army of mounted horsemen that, that John is seeing in a vision. And it talks about there being 200 million of them in size. And so that's actually the, the most concrete number we have in Scripture mm -hmm. that we, there's, we know there's at least 200 million demons in the world, but there's most likely more. And if there's a, how many angels are there? And if a third of them rebelled, that's a lot of angels, millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions of them, theoretically. Um, and so if you're looking for numbers, those are the two numbers that were given in Scripture. Um, but the way I look at it, if there's 7.2 billion people currently living in the world and they can all potentially be attacked, spiritually attacked, that's a lot of demons, right? It makes sense. Uh, and there's not just one spirit of fear at work in the world. There's hundreds of millions of spirits of fear, uh, most likely in the world, attacking hundreds of million different uh, people to make sure they do not step out in faith and fulfill God's call upon their life. The spirit of fear wants to paralyze believers with fear. He wants to cripple them with fear. He wants to convince them they can't do it or it's too hard to do what God is calling them to do. The same is true with the spirit of lust, trying to keep people in a perpetual state of sexual bondage and addiction to pornography, to illicit sexual behavior. Uh, same is true with the spirit of depression, to keep people down in a deep, dark pit in a funk of hopelessness and helplessness, feeling powerlessness. Uh, that's what the spirit of depression does. And so their names often describe their functions in people's lives as you express. But there are other demons have biblical names, such as the spirit of Antichrist that is already in the world. We read about that in First John. Um, and so there are other demonic names, uh, uh, a spirit of witchcraft or a python spirit. Let's talk about in Acts 16 when a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future is following around Paul and Barnabas on their first uh, second missionary journey 
it's a python spirit in the greek language and so a lot of their names are biblical they're they're straight uh, taken straight from scripture and then there's other demonic spirits whose names are derived from other religions of the world from greek and roman mythology and and islam and buddhism and other world religions and so there's many different categories of demonic names some of them biblical some of them functional others taken from other religions but that helps explain how yeah. many there may be numerically and where their names come from. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so one of the things I would also love to, to talk with you about is, um, man, I've been around Christians who um, really take ownership of our spiritual authority, but sometimes uh, it doesn't seem very mature. Like I've been around Christians who, you know, they're a prophet and God told them this or that. And sometimes it's kind of, it, sometimes it seems a little off the wall. I know sometimes God can, you know, uh, God's ways are higher than our ways and, and his understanding exceeds ours. But still I've encountered people who, um, sometimes say some weird things or, um, even people who any sort of, uh, you know, trial in their life is attributed to Satan. Um, I, this is a cheesy example, but you know, their car broke down because of a demon. It's like, well, no, you didn't change the oil. Like, you know, um, so what, what are some missteps or abuses uh, that can happen when we exercise spiritual authority and maybe what are some, I, I don't know if you'd say guardrails, but what are some, some principles maybe for how we can exercise spiritual authority in a healthy and balanced way uh, without getting, um, you know, off into pro like spiritual pride or maybe just off into uh, left, I don't even know, left field. I don't know what to even call some of the stuff I've encountered. So yeah, could you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. In fact, as part of our Wellsprings training, we have a, a model or a diagram that we created that shows the different theological extremes that Christians tend to lean towards. Uh, one On one side of the spectrum, it's uh, we have a set of Christians, a whole group of Christians who tend to lean towards unbelief or disbelief in Satan and demons and their activity in our lives as Christians. Uh, these are the people who deny their existence and attribute nothing uh, to Satan and demons whatsoever. And there's a lot of different Christian uh, traditions and denominations who espouse that type of theology. They tend to be more on the cessationist or dispensationalist side of, of the theological spectrum. Then on the other, at the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, those more who tend to be more on the Pentecostal charismatic side of things, who tend to attribute everything to demons, who tend to see Satan and demons behind every bush. And, and they have an unhealthy interest, almost an excessive interest or an over-fascination with the demonic. That's not healthy either. Those are two unbiblical extremes. The truth is often found closer to the middle, where we acknowledge Satan and his existence. We, we acknowledge the demonic and their influence in our lives, but we don't attribute everything to them. And so sometimes it's helpful to think in terms of that type of model. Now, if you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis in his work, The Screwtape Letters, written in the 20th century, he has this fantastic yeah. quote. And this is what he says. Uh, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall about the devils or demons. One, he says, is to disbelieve in their existence entirely. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. But they themselves, the demons, are equally pleased by both errors, he says. Yeah. And they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And so even Lewis was acknowledging the two extremes that we tend to lean towards. 
uh, as, as Christians. So that sometimes it's very helpful to reflect, hey, I don't want to be a materialist. I don't want to be a magician either. But I want to be in that middle range where scripture is, that biblical worldview, where even Jesus uh, was acknowledging Satan and demons. He spent a larger part of his ministry setting people free from their influence, delivering them from demonic oppression. And yet he did not attribute everything to demons either. How, what what's um I, that's so good and uh, screw tape letters is is an excellent book um almost anything by c.s lewis is really good um so how do you discern or, or teach people to discern like some of this especially like prophetic words like i don't know if this is a a real story or an illustration but I, i've heard of like you know churches where there was like a disagreement, a decision that need, needed to be made. And on one side, like God told them this and the other side, well, God told me this. Well, how, how do we, um, I don't want to disbelieve that God does prophetically speak or reveal things to people. Um, but I've also, I feel like I've talked to people and it's like, well, that's convenient that God revealed that to you. Um, how do you teach your team or would you teach people uh, how do we have discernment without sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater per se? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I go back. There's two scriptures I'd like to highlight to help answer that. One is first Thessalonians five, 19 and through 22, where Paul says this, do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Don't just ignore them. Don't throw them out. Test everything he says hold on to what is good reject every kind of evil so it's the idea of testing the spirits every prophetic word every quote word from the lord that someone claims to have should be tested first john 4 verses 1 and 3 brothers and sisters do not believe every spirit because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Okay, so both authors, Paul and John, are, are talking about the need to test the spirits, to test prophecies, to test discernment, so to speak. Is it of God or not? How do you know, right? And so there's a lot of different litmus tests that Scripture gives us. Uh, and that we teach in this ministry. One is let's line it up against the Word of God, test it against the Word of God. So if, if you use the compass example, word the, God's Word is true north on a compass. So when you hear a prophetic word, when you hear a message from the Lord that someone brings to you as a pastor, the Lord told me to tell you the church needs to do this, test it. Line it up against Scripture. Is it facing true north? Does it align with Scripture? Or does it contradict Scripture? If it contradicts scripture, it's not from God. Throw it out. It's of another spirit, a deceiving spirit, but not from the Holy Spirit. That's one of the great litmus tests you can use to test the spirits. Uh, once had a, a woman who found out she was a, a, a gifted discerner or one with a gift of discerning spirits that was just discovered in a freedom session. And a few weeks later, she called my wife up on the phone and said she, she was sensing God was telling her to marry a married man. And my wife had to gently and lovingly push back on her and describe, listen, God doesn't tell us to marry married people. That's a sin, right? So what you're hearing is obviously not from God. It's from another spirit. Let's pray together. Let's discern what deceiving spirit is, because that did not, that message from the Lord did not align with what God's word yeah. teaches, right? So it gets yeah. intensely practical 
when we begin testing the spirits. And so hope that's helpful. There are many other tests as well yeah. that you apply, but that that's a big one. That's good. That's good. Um, so uh, a couple more questions here before we uh, before we wrap up. But um, I know and and believe God works through the community of believers, and I personally have had a couple of Wellspring sessions. Um, but what about people who? are living in bondage and maybe do not know about deliverance ministries, or maybe they're part of a, a church tradition that is kind of on that spectrum that doesn't talk much about it or believe in it. Um, do they, what, what is their hope for freedom? Is, is Christ enough for their freedom? Uh, can, how, how can we, you know, walk in freedom without having a session every day, week or month? Um, just like a personal example um, there's been some significant wounds that were that caused um, like bitterness and unforgiveness, and forgiveness was a significant piece of my healing in the session. And um, but then people hurt you again, and uh, so how can we walk in freedom? How can people walk in freedom who don't have an opportunity or know about? sessions, um, or just in general, know that there's going to be potential attacks from the enemy on a, on a more regular basis. Uh, what does it look like to walk in freedom and exercise authority for people? Yeah, certainly. Uh, our personal relationship with Christ is the foundation for our freedom, uh, first and foremost, and we need to understand that. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. So we know he's called us into an experience of freedom as Christ followers. So true freedom, in other words, cannot be found apart from Christ. So there's no doubt that uh, every follower of Jesus can experience a, a level of freedom, and, and they seem to experience a level of freedom at conversion, the day they give their life to Christ, uh, because a very real spiritual transaction occurs. It says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14 that he has delivered us, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us out into the kingdom of light. So this spiritual transfer from darkness to light happens at the moment of conversion, when the, we are marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell uh, in us. And so this God Spirit begins to work the change process, the discipleship, the sanctification process in our lives uh, as Christ followers. And so, yes, can believers experience a level of freedom without the help of a ministry, a freedom ministry like Wellsprings or another type of freedom ministry? Yes, certainly that's possible. But I would say this, that based on 20 years of experience in this ministry, uh, we've realized that most people need the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ to come around them to help them overcome their struggles. Um, we were created for community. And we grow best in community as Christ followers. That's why God gave us the church in which to grow. And so believers, if they wanted to pray for self-deliverance, as we tend to refer to it, that God would deliver them from the spirit of fear, by all means, we encourage them to pray. And we encourage them to renounce and to rebuke those spirits if they sense they're being attacked by them. We encourage them and equip them to renounce the lies of fear and the lies of those demonic spirits they can hear in their minds from time to time. But oftentimes, that's not enough. 
And when it's not enough, then we recommend they go through a freedom session or a series of freedom sessions. As adults, we recommend the average adult go through about three, three hour freedom sessions to break completely free from all of their struggles and issues in their lives. It's not just a one and done deal. It requires a process. Freedom is a process, just like sanctification is a process in our Christian life. And so we want to honor that process. We want to uh, walk them through that entire healing process. But in those freedom sessions, they're being thoroughly equipped to stand firm in and to walk in their freedom long term. So we just don't want people coming for a quick fix in their freedom sessions. We want to equip them and empower them to live and walk in long-term freedom. And that's why we've even created a whole aftercare program, which is an eight-week intensive discipleship curriculum we've created to help people live out their freedom. There's a whole chapter on your identity and authority in Christ, for example, uh, about the, the power of forgiveness and how we, if someone leaves a freedom session, they go back home to an abusive spouse the spouse may hurt them again, may abuse them again if they choose to remain in that relationship. But if that woman, for example, is to live in a place of freedom, she has to forgive 70 times 7, forgive over and over again every time she's hurt, which is quite difficult at times. So she has a choice to make. Do I remain in the abusive relationship or do I set healthy boundaries and remove myself from the abusive relationship until God restores and heals that relationship? So that's part of the equipping and empowering that happens in the midst of a freedom session and even after a freedom session in the aftercare program that we have. Um, this is a, a little bit of uh, a personal, just uh, trying to walk some of this out in my own life. There was a one time, I think it was two years ago now, but um, I was just before leaving the office, um, I saw an article shared about uh, a pastor who had committed suicide. And I was actually having a kind of a, one of those, like I suck as a pastor sort of days already. Um, and, uh, I left with a just very heavy sort of sense of darkness, like, uh, un, un, like I was discouraged before I read that, but this was like a different level of discouragement. And, uh, when I got home, I went on a run and on my run, I rebuked a spirit of, uh, spirit of death. I think a spirit of depression, um, and, and maybe even a spirit of suicide. I, I don't know. Um, in that that darkness lifted. I still had some things I was discouraged about back to that general level, but, um, but I felt like the heaviness was lifted, but then there've been other times where I felt anxious and I rebuked something and, um, my body didn't seem to, uh, respond to the rebuke. Um, or even times where, uh, one of my kids are sick and I'm praying for healing. And, um, I mean, eventually they get healed, but, uh, sort of seems to be the natural process, not, not sort of the immediate thing. And then I wrestled with, you know, was I praying for healing in a God honoring way or just trying to control my circumstances to avoid inconvenience? And, um, but again, don't want to, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of thing. Um, in maybe in your own life, what does this look like sometimes, um, for, for you to like step into that authority for yourself or for your family, for your daughter? Um, do you have any advice uh, if for no one else, maybe me. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I think the North American church in general is does a woeful job at equipping and teaching believers to operate in their authority, in their God-given authority. So, which means we need to help people, we need to point people back to the scriptures, back to the gospels, to look at the authority of Christ. 
the authority, as he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he bestowed that power and authority on his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations in the Great Commission. He promised that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them in Acts 1.8, and they would be his witnesses to the world. In Luke 9, 1 and 2, he sends out the 12 and gives them authority to drive out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to preach the kingdom of God. He does the same thing with the 72 in Luke chapter 10. Um, and so he then, the disciples come back from their first mission trip, and they're so overjoyed, Lord, even the demons submit to us in, in your name. And and Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's the authority we've been given. It's the same authority of Christ to trample uh, over the enemy. And we need to understand that. We have nothing to be afraid of. We're on the winning side here. Jesus wins in the end. And so we can encounter, fight any circumstance. We can pray uh, against any person who we might consider an enemy who's criticizing or, or cursing us. We can win those battles because Jesus has already won. And we, in other words, as I like to say, we're fighting from victory. We're not fighting for victory in this spiritual battle. But often we don't, understanding that is the first key towards victory, is that you've been given authority. We just need to learn how to appropriate that, that authority, how to operate in that authority as we pray, as we teach and preach, as we speak, that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us, Romans 8 tells us. And so for me, this growth in authority has, has been a long-term process. I didn't grow up in a church that taught on spiritual authority very much, but this is something God has shown me in my own personal discipleship journey, and especially being a part of the Wellsprings ministry and now being the leader of the Wellsprings ministry. I feel like every year I grow more and more in my own understanding and my use of that authority. Uh, but I will also say this, authority is not just given to us for authority's sake. It's not to show off. It's not to, mm. uh, it's not all about the power and authority to do all these great feats for God. Okay. And that's what Jesus was telling the disciples in Luke 10, when they came back rejoicing that the demons submit to them to do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right. Yeah. And so it's that relationship with Christ, intimacy with Christ, humility before Christ, which is actually one of the keys to receiving that spiritual authority. And we must never forget that. Otherwise, a misuse and abuse of spiritual authority can seriously hurt people in the church and hurt the people around us. And unfortunately, we see examples of that all the time in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just have three more questions uh, real real brief, briefly, and then we will have to wrap up. Um, so you know, we have this authority and um, we we are on the winning side and we can sort of even um, take and claim that uh, that victory and that authority when uh, the enemy uses people, you know, and I, I forget which uh, chapter, but in, in one of the gospels, um, Peter uh, sort of rebukes Jesus when he talks about his death and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And it's interesting in that moment, Peter is being the mouthpiece of the enemy and other people can do that too. Um, how do you know when, uh, kind of two questions here, I guess, when someone is being the mouthpiece of the enemy or when they are just saying something you don't like, you know, um, cause sometimes I think we can demonize people sort of, uh, we can, uh, believe they're, they're working against 
God's will when in reality it's it just doesn't align with our agenda. And and then when they are in fact being a mouthpiece of the enemy, how do we still distinguish between um, our fight is not against flesh and blood? Uh, yeah. How do you how do you distinguish that? Yeah, it's a very real issue in human relationships. I would go back to the need for uh, exercising wisdom and discernment and testing the spirit behind the words that are spoken. So, for example, another way to test the spirits, right, is that God never speaks to his children in a harsh, condemning, or accusatory manner. Uh, is that person speaking to you in a harsh, condemning, and accusatory manner? If so, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Because even God's kindness, the scriptures tell us, uh, his, his conviction comes with kindness and love. It is always done in love. It's for our repentance. It's for our restoration. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, 2 Corinthians 7 tells us. And so uh, is it accusatory? Is it condemning? Is it harsh? Or is it uh, spoken in love and gentleness and kindness? Uh, is the goal restoration and healing and reconciliation? Or is it criticism or condemnation, right? And so you've got to kind of filter all of those things and test uh, what is being spoken to you. Uh, everything God speaks is loving, affirming. Uh, even his conviction is done in love. And we need to understand that. And uh, I think that's one of the keys to the Christian life in general. So anytime uh, someone is launching an accusation at me or at the ministry, I filter it in my mind. Okay, who is saying this? What is being said versus what God says about me, right? What is true? What is of God? What is of the enemy? And that's a great way to kind of process that mentally and spiritually in your mind. Filtering out. And you know what? Sometimes there is an element of truth in some criticism that we receive. And we need to learn, listen and learn from that criticism. But I've learned about 80, 90 percent of it uh, is not helpful. It's, it's destructive criticism, not mm -hmm. constructive criticism. And we need to just let it go and ignore it and renounce it and move on and not allow it to crush us uh, because our words carry power. Our words have power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18 tells us, and we need to speak life to others, not death. We need to speak blessing, not cursing, and we need to be very careful of the words we use in relationships. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, are, are there any just sort of last thoughts or is there a question that I did not ask that you wish I would have or things that if you were just, you, you wish more, uh, Christians understood just some, some sort of final thoughts. Do you have any, any final wrap up thoughts? I would say this, um, because of all the myths and the misunderstandings and the misconceptions about spiritual warfare that we've talked about in this conversation today, uh, most Christians tend to shy away from ministries like ours, from mm. freedom ministries or deliverance ministries. Uh, we describe ourselves as an inner healing and deliverance ministry. We do both in our ministry model. Uh, there is so much freedom available to you on the other side of your fears. And so I just want to encourage you to push through those fears if you genuinely feel like you need the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ to come around you and help you break free, seek out a Wellsprings network team. Uh, we're in lots. We're, uh, we're located in 15 different states. You can check out our website, wellspringsoffreedom.com. You can click on our network locations. You can sign up for a freedom session and personally experience the freedom that I'm talking about today. Um, we acknowledge that problems in our lives may be psychological, they may be medical, or they may be spiritual. Uh, 
of what we've learned over the years is that many people need help in more than one area. And so just as we go to doctors for an annual checkup or a physical, why not go to a freedom session for a spiritual checkup, right? Just like we go to the doctors for a physical checkup, why not come in and get an accurate spiritual assessment as to whether or not you're in spiritual bondage? Because I'll say to people, if you're in spiritual bondage, wouldn't you want to know? If you're under demonic oppression, wouldn't you want to know and wouldn't you want to be set free? So why not? So I just want to encourage you with that word to seek out one of our Wellsprings Network teams. There's one right in your own church, uh, Anthony, where you're located as well. And and uh, all across Indiana and 14 other states around the country and in five countries around the world. We continue to train and equip more and more churches. We're training another one in Michigan in just a few weeks. And so um, just want to encourage you with that final word uh, to, to press into your fears, but don't stay there to walk through those fears to the other side into freedom. You'll be so glad you did. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. And I just want to re, you mentioned it, but I just want to, uh, re, um, emphasize it. Uh, there, there's a team at our church. You can go to www.pathway.community and find out how to get connected there. Um, or you can call the church office, uh, contact is on the website. Um, Brian, would you mention the website, uh, for Wellsprings of Freedom again? Yes. It's wellspringsoffreedom.com. Uh, We have two administrative centers here in the U.S. We have our healing center based in Rock Island, Illinois, and we have an Indiana training hub office that's based in Marion, Indiana. You can find the information for our two administrative centers on our website. Uh, You can click on the Rock Island administrative center, the Indiana training hub center. Um, I would also encourage you, if you're interested in going through training or equipping, uh, we're doing five different training events this coming fall. Uh, We do mission trips to local churches every month, large-scale training conferences, even online training classes in our current COVID-19 realities. We're offering one online training class in October, one in November, and all that information is on the website. We've published 12 different resources that are available through our online store on that same site that you can order, and many of those resources are also available in ebook format through Amazon.com as well. Uh, the two books I'll just highlight real quick, With Gentle Authority, uh, that's the first book that I co-wrote with Pastor Tim Howard, who founded this ministry. Uh, with Gentle Authority is a great read, and then The Power of Healing Prayer is a second book I wrote on the physical healing prayer sessions and our theology of healing that we've talked a little bit about today, and both those are available in print or in ebook format on Amazon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I've read G- With Gentle Authority. It is a really helpful resource. Um, Brian, thank you for the ministry you do. Thank you for the work you've done. Thank you for being a guest on uh, the podcast. And I really hope and believe this will encourage a lot of people and, and if nothing else, um, maybe inspire them to uh, to study or seek out um, more things about spiritual warfare. So thank you for your time. And um, until next time. 